the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking stock talk. Talking stocks. Talking investing. A little bit of a bullet shot into the world of individual equities. Maybe a little bit of indexing for sure, but not a lot of business news. More big picture. Jack Bogle is someone that I admire, and you have to have a list of people in the world of finance and investing that you admire. One of them for me is Jack Bogle, Warren Buffett, uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Benioff, um... You can, you know, create a list, you know, locally, uh, Hennessy from the Hennessy funds, um, O'Shaughnessy, anything that he's written I've liked. As far as, you know, baseball cards, those would be the people who I would collect. If you were to expand and go into, like, crazier things, maybe there's some institutions that you like, like Barron's or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. I don't really look to the LA Times, the San Francisco Chronicle as investment idea generators. I look at them as yesterday's business headlines. There is on occasion a nice piece about real estate and situations like along those lines that are, you know, more locally flavored, which I prefer when it comes to talking real estate. But it's funny, journalism differs like golden clay. At one point in time it was a pretty prestigious career. Now, if you're young and you can crank out articles that get eyeballs, that's kind of important. So anyway, back to Jack Bogle. He's the legendary founder of Vanguard. Time and experience have demonstrated that for most investors, low-cost indexing is the most efficient way to invest. That has always been his argument that he's championed, that time and experience for most investors, keeping the cost low, is the best efficient way to invest. Over the past five years, indexers have outperformed the vast majority of active managers. So you can open up your newspaper and take a look at the top mutual funds. Newspaper, mutual funds, I know. Almost feels dated, right? Uh, Going to a newspaper to check your mutual funds? 
Uh, it's kind of funny, but it's still applicable on some levels. So over the past few years, indexers have outperformed the vast majority of active managers, causing even more investors to realize the now obvious answer to the question of how should they invest their money. And the answer for most people is indexing. The question is, can that go on forever? You know, what happens if you're in a, a market that goes sideways? Well, the market's made up of winners and losers, and if it goes sideways, you could certainly underperform by picking individual stocks, or you could outperform by picking individual stocks. Um, so it's highly doubtful that indexing will always win. Well, indexation, I think that's a word, it's efficient, it's effective, it's low cost. Um, there's never really been a good idea on Wall Street that hasn't taken, you know, to a foolish extreme. So there will be things that wildly outperform it and things that wildly underperform it. For instance, mortgage-backed securities turned out to be a very bad idea where you could buy a stock, an index of stocks of mortgages. And the banks were packaging mortgages saying they're all great mortgages or they're all very good mortgages or all good mortgages. Even though some of these packages had some below-average mortgages, they just kind of lumped them together and said, It'll probably work out. Then Wall Street did a dumb thing by coming up with triple levered exchange traded funds. So the pro shares where you get three times the performance of the NASDAQ or three times the performance of the bank index or three times the the performance of the retail market. And when you do that, you're starting to use options and options aren't indexing. You're not buying it over time and you're not buying cheap. And that's where you got into a problem with triple-levered exchange-traded funds. Or you could use smart beta, which was another bad idea. Uh, So Wall Street will take the index phenomenon and try to bastardize some products into it, sometimes incorrectly. So you're looking for the more generic flavors of, like, the S&P 500, you know, the Russell 2000, the Wilshire 5000, where you don't have to have a super smart, actively managed uh, portfolio manager. So let's all play our cards carefully, and we'll make some money. And that's the idea when you do a, you know, a poker game and you have friends come over. And you almost have to tell your friends, like, don't be stupid, because you know, if you go all in on every hand and you lose, you're going to be better. This is to have fun. So just as only 10% of investors can be in the top decile, so inevitably, the continuing rise in passive investment will create winners and losers. Greed and fear will come in. So a major determinant of investment performance over time is cost. It's the one thing you can control. If you're starting to age 30, you're 10 years behind. If you're starting to age 20, you're perfect. Um, now, if you start at age 40, you're probably going to do it till the day you die. So you can control costs, though, at age 20, 30, 40, 50. Passive investing has always been a a, a benefit to a lot of investors. It's widely understood that index investing should reduce three major costs. Management fees, because it's just an index um, that very rarely changes. The management fees that you have to pay someone to be super smart uh, goes way down to basis points. The cost cost of managing the individual companies that make up the portfolios, i.e. research. Um, And then the taxes and uh, also with individual companies to buy and selling. So compensation of corporate managers is another cost. 
substantial but less publicized. It's borne by shareholders. Institutional investors have been reluctant to speak about some of the excessive, excessive uh, executive pay for fear of losing access to the management of those companies whose stocks they own. Um, so that's worthy of note that, you know, the compensation of corporate managers. So if you've ever been to, like, an Oppenheimer um, or a T. Rowe Price, their headquarters are gorgeous. They're unbelievable. It's like they've got mar- marble statues made out of real marble. <laughs> and you're like, why do people own statues? And then there's, oh, and you're like, I think this is by some guy named Rodan. So big index investors, you don't have to do that. They're increasingly finding themselves in a position to affect corporate governance by demanding a connection between pay and performance. It would seem obvious to a lot of people that money managers have a fiduciary duty to maximize the long-term value of the shares held by their clients. They certainly have a duty to prevent corporate managements from ripping off their clients. So, and taxes are, are something we need to talk about. You know, buying and holding is an easy concept to understand because when you do a trade, you know, your tax hit 20, 25%, boom, pretty fast. And then, you know, if you were only up 20, 25%, 30%, 40%, 50%, whatever, you know, you're, at the end of the year, you're pulling together all your taxes. Buy and hold is an easy concept to practice and understand. But it's really hard to put it into practice. Um, a very successful active value investor um, has to say things like, you know, do not show me how hard you're working by running through a bunch of trades because I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the fact that you have one super home run like an Amazon, but you've got six that have gone sideways and three that have been destroyed. So the big loser of index funds are the high-cost, poor-performing portfolio managers. The days of 2% management fees and 20% annual profits are out the window. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Talking stock. Stock talk, if you were. You can find me at Rob Black Show. That's Rob Black Show. Always got events coming up. If there's an event coming up that you sign up for, use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Mathematically, retirement's kind of a daunting thing, right? How much money do you make a year? You need 10 to 20 times that level to retire. Because the amount of money you make now is the amount of money you're going to kind of draw upon for 10 to 20 years. Maybe if you live 30 or 40 years in retirement, that's why you have to continue to invest it and have it exposed to some sort of growth. Now, we all are very, very different. 
I'm surprised by how many people have children and they don't want to help their children succeed. They're just like, hey, I had a children. I did my job. I uh, got my wife pregnant. <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, I, I, I did it again. I'm kind of a big deal. And uh, I'm not paying for my kid's college because, well, I can't possibly do that and drive a BMW at the same time. I'm very important. Millennials. Scotch. I scotch. Scotchy scotch scotch. In my belly. Down into my belly. Here's the thing about scotch, and this is where I feel horrible. I like scotch on the rocks. And like, you all have like snobs look at me like, you, no, 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 you're not putting that up. No, you're not no, putting an ice cube God, in that. Please, no, no, no. I know. Um, he got mad at me when I did that. So I'm surprised that people have kids and they don't want to like help set them up. Like my idea is like, if you have a kid, like give, empower them with everything. Teach them how to swim because swimming is like limitless possible. You can chase a turtle. You can float in the water. You can, you know, uh, um, when the Titanic goes down, you can push that that skinny waif model off the the dresser and you can take it from her if you can swim. But if you can't swim, you're kind of, well, you're going down with the Titanic. So millennials matter. And UBS, which is a research firm, just wrote an article about how Older millennials are starting to hit peak income age. And baby boomers, which is the generation that followed World War II, they're set to pass on trillions and trillions. I don't know if it's trillions and trillions. Maybe it's just trillions. Maybe it's billions and billions, which equals trillions of Why dollars. Trillions when we could make billions? Yes, Dr. Evil. Which, for the record, John Oliver's getting sued because he's, he, he referred to a coal miner CEO as an old geriatric-looking Dr. Evil. Right. And the guy says, that hurt my reputation. Oh, you mean the fact that you're sending miners down in, under the ground and they're dying on a pretty regular basis doesn't hurt your reputation? Right. 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 Um, so in just three years, global millennial wealth could stand at about $24 trillion. That's up from where it is right now at $7 trillion. So let's just stop and, and digest this real quick. Global millennial wealth could stand at $24 trillion in three years. Um, I'm, I'm available. I'm sending my resume out to all trillionaires. If any one of you have a trillion dollars, um, there's a good chance I clean toilets. I do dishes. I do windows. Um, I cook. I have 32 teeth-ish. Ish, and they're all go- facing down, which is good, right? They're not facing, not parallel to the ground. They're, you know, bisecting. Uh, millennials are about to benefit from one of the largest intergenerational transfers of wealth. Their mom and dads are dying. It's critical that Wall Street pays attention to this. It's critical that you pay attention to this because when you inherit money, you tend to do stupid things with it, like buy cars, which can cause a car company stock to go higher. Um, so to me, it's no secret that millennials want to be able to access their finances via smartphones. Six and 10, six and 10 
uh, millennials make up 60% of all millennials. Six in ten millennials make up 60% of all millennials. No, 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 no. That's a great stat. Uh, Say what? But six in ten use the smartphone to access their financial information. Millennials want transparency. Um, they want higher quality services. They want, you know, kickbacks to go to society and not to go to, you know, uh, someone's pocket. 23% of millennials would be willing to share their cell phone number, 21% their purchase history, 15% of their household income. Um, they're the least private generation there is at this point in time. They don't mind when firms collect data about their transactions and about their lifestyle. So they're going to get the largest intergenerational transfer of wealth. Now here's what stinks. What if... You're counting on mom and dad's money to be inherited. And what if mom and dad live longer? And what if mom and dad divorce and dad remarries a younger woman? And what if, while in the throes of passion, he promises wealth to the younger woman? What was that? It was a Simpsons, okay. It's not like a Pokemon character. So what if, and I've seen that happen already. Um, I would I would refer to it as a family friend, but she was super high. Like, hi everyone, I've got the greatest life ever, and her husband was very much so. Hey everyone, I got the greatest life ever. We're the happiest couple on the planet, and it turns out. He was trying to build a map, and it turns out he was kind of cooking the books to the fact that he never made money. But he would be like, hey, everybody, I just signed a seven-figure deal with uh, the American Diabetes Association. And, hey, everybody, I just, I got nine employees. I got nine employees. And uh, long story short, he never made money, and he kind of sucked her into that. And, you know. She was totally new in the back of her head that she was going to inherit her dad's house in uh, Woodside. Gorgeous, unbelievable, stunning, beautiful. Got its pool. Got its pool. Okay, so my grammar is starting to slip a little bit. But um, no, no. He uh, kicks the first wife out when she got cancer because you can't have a woman with cancer, right? So, uh, it's not clean enough. It's like, it's, no. So he went with a younger wife and uh, basically wrote his two kids out of the inheritance and gave it all to the younger wife, which I kind of want to do, too. I call it the five-year plan of always looking younger. So, what are you talking about, fool? When the woman turns 30, a little light goes off, and she has to go to be reassigned. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. There goes the last DJ. Oh, oh, you've been on my mind, girl, since the flood. Oh, oh, even falls in love. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money. I, I, 
on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare of Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing well. Thank you. We're cruising towards the end of the year. Uh, what do you expect for the last couple of months? Are we going to get a Santa Claus rally or no? Well, I think, yes, the, the market is, is kind of shaping up here to, to probably have a decent end to the year. Um, I read uh, something yesterday, really, where December has uh, never been the, the worst month on record in a, in a given year. And uh, I guess the worst month so far in 2017 was March when we were down, I think, four one-hundredths of one percent. So, uh, so if nothing else, I think that uh, the market is uh, in a position to, you know, go sideways, if not slightly higher into the end of the year, because there certainly seems to be a lot of uh, momentum still behind uh, behind the stock market, whether it's uh, a broad-based move or there's a rotational trade, which we've seen of late, of course. Uh, the important thing is that money isn't necessarily exiting the market in, the, in these rotation trades. It's, it's just moving within the market as uh, investors seek uh, value in other areas. I've been talking about interest rates and financial stocks and how they're correlated, that when interest rates tend to rise, bank stocks tend to do well. Today, Bank of America shares are rising after adding $5 billion to uh, buyback. So they've got a buyback. They've got higher interest rates kind of slowly happening. Um, what's your thoughts on, not Bank of America, I don't want to ask specific stocks, but what do you, what's your thoughts on the financial sector right now? The you know, financial sector certainly has been the primary beneficiary, uh, along with the transports, uh, of this rotation into uh, into value-oriented names. And it's driven in large part by the optimism over the tax reform effort and the uh, assumption that a tax cut will lead to stronger economic growth in the year ahead. And so financials should certainly be in a good position to benefit uh, from that if you're seeing stronger levels of economic growth, uh, stronger capital formation activity, you know, stronger loan demand. Uh, these all play into their strengths. Uh, what is interesting, though, is that while uh, long-term rates have come up somewhat from their low, you're also seeing a flattening of the yield curve at the same time because the front of the curve, the two-year note yield, has come up uh, even more sharply. Uh, it's trading at its highs since 2008, and that spread between the two-year note yield and the 10-year note yield it's just 56 basis points, and of course, banks make a business out of borrowing short and lending long. Uh, and as you get that spread compression, though, you could see some impact on net interest margins for the banks. So, uh, so the narrative right now certainly supports the banking stocks, uh, but we'll have to see, you know, what the actual earnings results uh, suggest in terms of how these banks are benefiting uh, from general business activity. What are some of the other big stories going on right now that you think need to be told in the world of finance? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, tax reform obviously is the biggest story going on right now for the for the equity market. Uh, it, it's been told in in many respects. You know, we know that uh, the House and the Senate have both approved their respective versions, and now they're in a conference to try and reconcile those versions and and ultimately get a bill to the president by Christmas, which is the the main objective. Uh, You know, you see press reports every day, and understandably so, that suggest that the effort to reconcile the two bills may not be such an easy undertaking 
uh, when it's all said and done because there's been, you know, certainly in the Senate there were a number of concessions made to make sure that they could get to a, you know, 50-vote, you know, margin to approve that bill. We're not so sure how that plays out now uh, amongst some of the more uh, budget-minded uh, legislators in the House and even in the Senate. Uh, if if the implication from a uh, a tax bill is that you're going to see potentially see a, a a significant rise in the budget deficit over the 10 year period, so it could get a little bit dicey. But I think that the GOP does understand that uh, if nothing else, if they need to get some type of feather in their cap as they head into the midterm elections in 2018, uh, they might be more open-minded to a compromise than they were certainly around uh, the effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Good stuff. Um, Speaking of that tax plan that probably should happen, um, is that priced in the stock market at this point in time if you were a guessing man, not a betting man, but a guessing man? I'd say no, uh, and, okay. and here's the reason why. Um, there's certainly been some premium uh, surrounding the, the tax reform effort, and you know, and you can say that just from the from the very simple standpoint that you don't have a bill yet, but just the headline that suggests you're moving toward a tax reform bill. Uh, you've seen the stock market react quite strongly uh, in the last couple weeks to to those headlines. But why I say that I don't think it's fully in here yet is that. The understanding is, is if you were to get tax reform and a, and a cut in the corporate tax rate to 20%, you know, we're seeing estimates out there uh, that S&P 500 earnings growth could be, you know, roughly 8 to 12% higher uh, than it is currently projected to be. So you have a market right now uh, that trades at about an 18 uh, multiple on forward, forward earnings here. Uh, and if you were to see that, let's call it 10% increase in earnings, uh, you would see an instant contraction in that multiple down to about 16, 16 and a half times earnings. And so we already know that the market has resigned itself uh, to being somewhat comfortable to a premium multiple around 18 times, so long as interest rates stay relatively low. Well, interest rates are still relatively low. And if you were to see, uh, uh, you know, the increase in the earnings estimates for 2018 match those uh, um, those high expectations, uh, the market, if it were to then go back to an 18 multiple, would be trading in the neighborhood of around 2,900. So, uh, so we think that there will be grounds for justification for this market to rationalize further upside based on the tax plan uh, if that ultimately comes to fruition. So speaking of some stories out on Wall Street, in your page one column that I read each and every morning at briefing.com, you mentioned Regal Entertainment has agreed to be acquired by Cineworld, the U.K.'s largest cinema operator, for $5.9 billion. Is that a merger and acquisition that's, I'm going to say, on the sexy, can that lead to more mergers and acquisitions? Or are we in a merger and acquisition environment? Because we've seen Time Warner and CNN, or Time Warner and AT&T kind of like shut down this year. Uh, what's your thoughts on mergers and acquisitions at the end of the year and going into next year? Yeah, I think um, you know a pickup and M and A activity could be one of the main themes in in 2018, uh, particularly since uh, let's just again assume that you get this tax bill passed uh, and you you see you know lower pre- repatriation tax rates, um, lower tax rates in general that uh, help bolster you know the cash flow for these uh, for these companies. Uh, you know we are in a, in a 
business environment right now where operating efficiency is, is at a premium, and so is the ability to uh, to continue to attract customers with relatively low prices. And uh, and I think what you're going to see though is is companies look to uh, become more efficient by you know acquiring other companies uh, so that they can. Um, Try to get some pricing power, if you will, by taking on increased market share, and and they'll have the means to do these acquisitions uh, because they have some very lofty stock prices in a number of cases, uh, but they're also armed with a whole lot of cash. And so, uh, I think that the backdrop, if you're going to see improving economic activity, not only in the U.S. but around the globe, uh, does support the opportunity for increased M&A activity uh, because a lot of companies are going to be in pretty strong financial position to uh, to make that happen with the ultimate goal in mind to be more efficient from an operating standpoint. All good stuff. Um, heading into 2018, one of the stories that has, I think the story behind the stock market, I try to boil it down simply, is the jobs report. Every first Friday of the month, it's something I tune into briefing.com to see what the numbers look like. Um, I look for wages and a couple other things, but I really look for the jobs, unemployment. Um, is it as good as it gets there at this point in time? Well, I don't, I don't think it, it necessarily is. You might be probably close to it. Uh, you certainly, you know, below the the bounds of full employment that uh, you know the Fed, you know, has projected. Um, but there's still some slack out there in the labor market, and um, you know, you're, you're starting to hear more and more though about companies having difficulty finding, you know, filling skilled positions there, uh, which that could ultimately lead to higher wage inflation, which is which is really the key component right now that the market is missing. Uh, it understands that non-farm payroll growth has been very solid for a long time now, that the unemployment rate is low, but now it's waiting for that pickup in inflation on the wage side because that's going to create a whole new. Uh, um, Scenario: If you were to see wage-based inflation flow through to then uh, higher, you know, general inflation, because that invites the Federal Reserve into the mix, and this uh, notion that you've been able to support a premium multiple on low interest rates starts to come into question if you if you see interest rates move up uh, based on concerns about inflation and the Fed's efforts to uh, to keep inflation in check. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. I start my day every day when I look at Wall Street, which is pretty much so every day, uh, by going to Briefing.com. I've been working with them for 15-plus years. I've been using their service long before I got him as a guest. Um, really good stuff, really good content, good insights into what's happening in America as far as investing goes, as well as domestic and international stock markets. So good stuff. Bank stocks are on fire at this point in time. They're the sector that's leading the markets higher. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial.
RobBlack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Kind of believe we're at a time where we might be at peak media. Not sure if you believe that and or not, but I do. These are concepts that we like. I like to talk to you about on the show as investment ideas. I like buybacks. Bank of America's shares are rising after adding $5 billion to a buyback. They're buying their own $5 billion of their own shares. That's a lot going in your direction. A lot going in your direction. Um, upstream, so to speak, as far as investors go. I do like Bank of America. So um, do consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned on the show. Uh, but Bank of America shares have risen 31% this year. So based on the slowly creeping higher interest rates. Uh, still some room to still some room to grow, but I'll let you decide what's appropriate and or not appropriate for you. Speaking of appropriate, the tax bill cometh. CFP Chad Burton, let's talk to him. He does a show from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. here Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and a best of on Fridays from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. here on AM 1220 KDOW. He also has a podcast. You can find out more about that at newfocusfinancial.com. But here he is talking the financial plan and tax plan. Right now, people can take $75,900 plus their itemized deductions and that money is going to be taxed at a 15% or less bracket. Under the House bill, that 15, the 10% bracket goes away. The 15% bracket goes away, and now there's this expanded 12% bracket, anywhere from zero to almost $90,000. So a little bit of a, a, a gain in that lower income. It's a huge gain for people in retirement that are drawing from their IRAs. If and when the package is passed, I'll do a whole show on some of the changes that you'll make. Now, the, the, the House bill does simplify the tax brackets. There's only four. There's a 12, a 25, a 35, and a 39.6% bracket. And if you look at what would be considered upper income in California – it's not a tax break in any way, shape, or form. Don't let anybody tell you that it is. The only way it would be is if you're kind of this passive real estate investor corporation that might qualify for some sort of a pastor entity, which most wouldn't. If you're a high-income earner in California, you're going to pay more in taxes, plain and simple. The only caveat would be is if you've been getting killed with AMT taxes, Maybe it's a bit of a wash for you. I don't know. It's it's really difficult to say. But when you keep hearing these, oh, it's a big tax break for the wealthy, that's not the case. And I cannot stand this tax package in any way, shape, or form, but that's that's not the case. Um, the Senate bill is far from simplification. It just kind of changes the tax bracket. Um, it lowers the rate on about $2,000 of income and about 3% for the 15% bracket. It's, it's really, it, there's no simplification of it at all. Now let's look at some of the other main differences of these two packages because the House Senate, or the House version of the bill wanted to cap the interest deduction on mortgages to 500000 The Senate bill does not. The House package wants to cut corporate taxes 
to 20% immediately. The Senate bill does not. They don't want to do anything until 2019. The both bills, though, drops most state and local tax deductions off of your return for itemizing your deductions. And that's difficult for any states that have high state income taxes like California and Oregon. Okay, the House bill does have, like I said, fewer individual tax brackets. The Senate bill does not. Both versions increase the child tax credit. The pass-through rate for the House is lower for, I mean, that's, like I said, kind of pass-through entities. Look, if you have an S-corp and it meets certain criteria, some of that income that you take currently as your distributions will be taxed at a lower rate, but you won't be able to take as much as a distribution. You might have to take more as wage and less as a distribution. The Senate bill doesn't have any of that. Now, this is a big one, which I i mean, it just blows my mind why anybody would do this. The House bill takes away medical deductions. So think about that. Think about your your yourself if you're in your 70s, 80s, 90s, and you need help in the home. I've got one client who is 91 years old. She takes, uh, she has $10,000 a month in in-home health care costs. She saved well. Her and her husband both did. And she's able to basically offset IRA income, $10,000 a month because of the medical expenses. She'll pay more in taxes. She will pay more in taxes as a result of the House plan. The Senate plan luckily does not get rid of the medical expense deduction. So hopefully that stays because Retired people are already getting hurt. They're already getting hurt by low interest rates. So to take away any deductions for retired people, just it's just ridiculous, especially on the medical side. There's permanent changes in expensing rules for the House, but not the Senate. Uh, both bills raise the standard deduction. The idea is that, you know, kind of itemizing should be a thing of the past, and we should get more of a simplified tax bracket. Um, so I get the idea of eventually doing that if it's part of a well-thought-out package. The House bill repeals the state taxes. The Senate does not. The House bill repeals AMT tax. The Senate bill does not. The House bill repeals the health care mandate. The Senate bill does not. Um, under the House plan, tax cuts are permanent, while the Senate plan is not. So there's a lot of work to do here. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.